is Montel here, and welcome to another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. We're so excited about today's show, and of course, coming to you sequestered away in my home in Miami, Florida, but I've got a guest joining us from Ohio, and that guest is the founder of Goldleaf, a science board printing company for cannabis growers, patients, and enthusiasts. Goldleaf empowers people by helping them better understand their interactions with the cannabis plant and works to make the subject more approachable to new audiences. He's a former volunteer for the Marijuana Policy Project, a group that I've worked with right here during my hard work with early on back in the early 2000s, and has a history supporting veterans' education and also access to medical marijuana. Guys, welcome, Mr. Charles McElroy. Charles, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Montel. I'm, I'm really stoked to be here talking to you. Appreciate it. I'm really excited. So, you know, I, I want to start with something we're going to back up. But let's start first. You know, Gold Leaf, I think you, you kind of hit the, the nail right dead on the head with the fact that I think the most important deficiency in this entire industry, in this entire movement, has been education, education, education. We have been failing miserably at that, especially even now, while we're in the midst of this pandemic. I don't see anyone attempting to come to the fore and, and take advantage of, really, uh, when I say take advantage, but utilize the time while people are at home looking for content to take the time to educate those consumers out there, those generations out there that have been fed misinformation over the last hundred hundred so years. Mm-hmm. Nobody's even attempting to do that. And I think that's to the detriment of this industry. But that's what you really seek to do through gold is it not? Yeah, that that's our sweet spot, uh making education um, you know, something that is approachable and and even even interesting to folks who who may have been adverse to it before. Um and yeah, we we love uh kind of trying to reinvent it in interesting ways and um you know, showcasing it in ways that people like to engage with it. Absolutely. I mean, I th- but I think that, I mean, what do you think about the fact that I don't understand why all of a sudden, you know, the industry went brain dead? I mean, as if, <laughs> as if said enough to provide the consumer with enough information. I see all these conferences around the country, conference after conference after conference after conference, and all of them seem to be perpetuating B2B information, trying to make and get their part of the B rather than try to reach the C, which is the consumer, which is going to drive the B. Yeah, that, that's a a interesting question. Like I, I I think like the, the, the B side, the the businesses do have an opportunity to be the leaders in the education. And we, we work with a lot of businesses to try and outfit their teams, their bud tenders, their staff, to be able to uh, have those meaningful conversations with uh, patients and customers. But the, the struggle there is just the crazy high turnover. So, so you're right. I, I think the, uh, the end goal is to go directly to the consumer, directly to the patient and um, have them do uh, their own diligence. I mean, cannabis is unique in the sense that a, a doctor cannot prescribe. They can't dose you exactly. Everybody's different. Everybody's endocannabinoid system is different. So there is an element of experimentation and an element of self-reliance that you have to adopt as a patient. And, uh, you know, getting educated is, is kind of part of that. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of folks will, will ask these questions to the bud tenders, to the folks at the dispensary. And, you know, they're, they're not always um, 
maybe uh, prepared to answer some of those deeper questions. Um, Goldleaf tries to help, but we can't nail it. <laughs> and, you know, I, mean, I find it really, really crazy interesting, the fact that, you know, you know, years ago when, when there was an echinacea craze, years ago when yeah. there was a D3 craze, years ago when, you know, we, you know, look at nutraceuticals or homeopathic remedies, people will, without hesitation, go up online, try their best to figure out what they can for themselves before they go out and buy one of those products. But when it comes to cannabis, it's like, you know, we sit back and play brain dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think the the murkiness there is is the fact that cannabis is enjoyable to a lot of people, um, you know, and, and so it, it's maybe seen as slightly different than than some of those other, um, you know, products like like echinacea or ginger or something. Um, but that, yeah, I don't I don't have a great answer there. All right, well, OK, well, let's back up for a second. Why don't you tell yeah. us and take how you got involved in this industry? You've got a. Uh, a bachelor of science in engineering from you know Ohio University, and you got an MBA, uh, or you were on an MBA track at uh, Miami University in business, and you shifted that over to cannabis. Why and how? Yeah, um, I, I've always been passionate about this. Uh, it, it's kind of a perfect uh, perfect melding of things that I'm interested in. Um, I, I think I'm really good. Like I've got an analytical mind, but I'm also very creative. I've always kind of operated in the creative space. Um, and, and this is kind of a marriage of the two. Uh, my, my favorite part about it is, is operating with perception, um, being able to take uh, these subjects and make them beautiful and approachable in, in not the classic cannabis, cannabis um, aesthetic. Uh, so deviating from that and showing, showing the, uh, the science behind it uh, to folks in a way that um, is something they haven't seen before. It's presented in this mature clinical kind of minimalist modern vibe that, you know, we found it draws them in and they don't realize that it's maybe cannabis info until they kind of get closer and they start looking at the infographic or whatever it is. And, um, you know, it, it's disarming to people. Um, and I love that. I, I love um, doing our part for the normalization, for um, the reprogramming of, of uh, the validity of cannabis as medicine. Um, and uh, that was what attracted me to, to kind of create gold leaf. It's intentionally ancillary. Uh, we don't technically ever touch the plant, but we're a cannabis company. Um, we, we still get hit with all the red tape that a flower producer would. Um, but, you know, technically we're protected under um, the, the first amendment um, because what we do is simply communicate facts and information and we try to do it in as pleasant of a way as possible. Um, and, you know, we want to kind of bridge those gaps. Um, it is a polarizing subject and we, we want to try and, and break through uh, to, to folks who may have, um, you know, previously made their mind up about it based on inaccurate information during the time of prohibition. And, um, yeah, so that, that's a large part of why I got into Goldleaf is, is to be a vehicle for that type of communication. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, generally I, I've been interested in cannabis because um, of my, my own um, kind of health issues with autoimmune problems. Um, I have lots of uh, family who are veterans who came back uh, from, you know, everything from Vietnam to Afghanistan with um, 
Agent Orange PTSD, and they've they've um, you know utilized that in a in a helpful way. Um, and uh, so, wait, but, but our Gold Leaf provides printed materials and information for both B to B, B to B to I. When I say I, B to business information, mm-hmm. but uh, but information. So you provide multi-tiered, multi-level communication tools to try to get the messaging across about what cannabis is all about. Is that right? Is that, is that, is that the kind of nutshell? Yeah. Um, specifically, uh, we make journals um, that are templated and guided, and then we make a lot of uh, smaller educational pieces printed, and then uh, art prints, uh, artwork that are mostly infographics and educational um, so they will, they'll look great in a home. Um, they'll draw people in. It'll be a great conversation starter. But, um, you know, if I'm being, being honest, most of our, um, our clients with the, the art prints are going to be doctor's offices, p- professionals in the space, people who like to kind of geek out on, on cannabis and they like looking at the science behind it in interesting ways. Um, so yeah, pretty much we, we live in the printed world uh, and that was also intentional. Um, I think that tactile, um, uh, the nature of it, um, the analog tool forces you to be a little bit more mindful when you um, kind of read and, and uh, interact with the plant. Uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why I really like a journal for patients as opposed to uh, like an app. Um, apps have a lot of distractions. There's you know, sec- maybe security risks. Um, and, you know, frankly, uh, uh, writing things down is going to force your brain to recompose thoughts. It'll force you to be more, more mindful about what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And, um, it's going to, uh, hopefully allow you to better record your experience so you can have those meaningful conversations with your, your doctor or caregiver, um, or just yourself when you're looking back at your past entries to find out what has worked for you or what maybe didn't. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. That's great. That's great. So, I mean, now, right now, you are uh, providing materials all over the world, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we don't have any limitations on where we ship, and, and we do have customers in, in every uh, continent apart from Antarctica, so. Yeah, no penguins. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, now, let's talk a little bit about the fact that you said it earlier on, the, the, for some reason, you're looked at as if you are a full leaf cannabis company. Why is that? That is a great question. I think because the um, in, in the digital space, our our website is full of terms that are deemed uh, dangerous or or you know like we can't talk about the opioid epidemic without using words like opium or heroin or something. So um, same same with cannabis. Uh, we 
we aim toward the scientific vernacular whenever possible, but you know, we're saying things like marijuana and um, hash and stuff like that uh, in some of our, our uh, articles or some of our content. And so it's bots really that will flag our site. Um, and so we're, we're seen as the same, uh, you know, with, with Google, with Facebook, with Amazon, we can't run any digital ads. When did the word marijuana or hash become an illegal word? I understand that. I understand that we're dealing with a schedule one drug and the drug itself. If you were say, go out and buy hash or buy this particular hash, I understand why there might be a moratorium on that, but I don't understand why you can't even talk about the term hash. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Montel. It's, it's crazy. Uh, the first year we were around, we fought that fight all the time. But the, the fact is, is all of those digital systems are, are decentralized and there's, uh, there's no single person in power. So while we would make progress on um, maybe a, a post or something like that, the second that we make an edit to it, it goes, it, it you know, gets fed through uh, their compliance again and the bots will flag it and we have to start all over with our, um, you know, a, a attempt to get it greenlit again. So it, it just burns so much admin time for us. Um, we just can't win that fight. And it's because there's nobody in charge and a lot of these digital uh, entities have to conform to the, the federal rules. Um, just because they don't want to risk, uh, you know, them getting in trouble for something uh, on a federal level. Um, and it's really frustrating. Um, I, I've never spoken with anybody about this where they're not like, oh, yeah, I see. Oh, okay, you're right. This isn't, uh, you're not selling drugs. Okay, we'll, we'll whitelist this. And then the next day it's, it's hidden again or, or blocked or we get... Um, threatened that our accounts will get shut down or something like that. It's the same uh, kind of song and dance that a lot of um, cannabis companies just deal with. And, you know, in, in that regard, it, it's, uh, we're, we're kind of aligned with, with all the others because we, we definitely feel their pain. Um, but there's not really a way out of it for us until those rules change on a federal level and places like Facebook and Google can uh, update their practices. Have you noticed that during this, this pandemic and during all the emphasis being placed on the pandemic, it seems as if, and I'm just now, you know, I've read different reports about, you know, the cannabis delivery industry has kind of burgeoned and is growing quickly in some places. In other places, I hear that, you know, dispensaries are basically shut down. You, you have liquor stores that are considered essential, you know, services, whereas cannabis stores, or medical cannabis stores are not considered an essential service. So do you think that this, this little break that we're having right now during this pandemic is really doing much more greater damage to the cannabis industry than anybody actually thinks? Yeah, that, I think about that every morning, Montel. Um, I, I think the, the sweeping, like the, the trickle down of, of this, um, economic shutdown is slowly going to be felt by everybody eventually, everybody, even people who are insulated. Cannabis companies were, were sort of insulated at the front end, but they're even feeling it now because a lot of the things that they rely on are not maybe considered essential. Um, you know, I, I can tell you for our perspective, like we have, a, we work with a lot of clients. We do a lot of custom design work. 
Um, most of that stuff has been paused um, or canceled due to coronavirus. Education is not something that somebody at home is necessarily looking to um, to buy into right now, which is surprising. Okay. Now that's where I actually not that I'm trying to differ with you, but that's where I think you know in some ways this industry is missing the boat. You know, they're at home, they're looking for content, they're looking for it, and you know because we haven't offered it, they wouldn't think to themselves, oh, let me go since I got the time now, let me study a little bit and figure out why this has been such a big deal. Right. I think would gravitate to the topic more if we were providing it to them right now. Yeah, and I agree. I, I, I've noticed that, you know, I think when we do, especially I believe, you know, this podcast that I'm doing right now with you is going to be very, very, very well received because people are looking for information. Yeah, and you know, the, the one thing I'd add to that, Montel, is um, you're right. There is, there's certainly an opportunity here. A lot of people do have downtime, and, and what better way to uh, spend that downtime than learn about your own body and your own health? Um, I, I think the, the reprogramming that, that needs to happen, in addition to having those educational avenues opened up, is you know, letting people know that that should be a priority for them. Like, learn, learn about your own endocannabinoid system and, and how you um, how you can possibly you know treat your ailments or your stress or your sleep um, you know with this plant um, so, so it's really just a, a perspective like having somebody be open to learning is, is like the first hurdle and then having the um, the content to kind of chew on uh, would would be the second one and you know, well, you know everybody's different, different. the dreams uh, fill the dreams dreamer but you know, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's just like in, in every aspect of medicine in this country, it is the consumer that drives the doctors to writing prescriptions rather than the doctor driving the consumer. You know, their, their pharmaceutical industry uh, goes around the country and knocks on doctors' doors and tries to get them to pump a drug all day long. But it's not until they do the advertisement on television that entices the consumer to go and ask the question, do they actually get sales? So it's like cart before horse, egg before chicken. I think in this case, I think right now, you know, I'd love to, you know, to team up with you and your, your group and say, you know, let's, let's make a concerted effort right now to make sure people understand that there's educational information out there. I mean, I go back and think back on, you know, study that I read. There was a study done back, hmm, this was back in like 1999, 98, uh, when Clinton was in office, when he had halfway do, you know, a, a study, I think it was at the University of Southern California. They studied uh, cannabis uh, effects and were trying to figure out a way to vilify cannabis and porn. Study came back and literally flipped the paradigm on them. And doctors came out of that study saying, how egregiously offensive is it that we have banned this product? does so much good and as a matter of fact we can't even see that it actually increases you know your chances of getting lung cancer as a matter of fact there's been one or two studies that have said that there are certain chemicals in the cannabinoids that aren't protective but seem to block cancer development in the lungs i yep. wonder no I'm, not, I'm just making this not a statement so i don't want anybody out there running around going my tell us hey my thing with that my thing just that. what i'm saying is that we don't know if the film layer that happens inside of our lungs 
using cannabis could be some sort of a barrier to opportunistic infection. I don't know. I'm just saying we don't know because nobody's studying it. And until we do study that, we won't get the answers. However, there are studies out there that have shown that in the past, that should be something I think should be allowed for patients to read, people to be able to get knowledge for themselves. It's just the same way as like right now. Maybe, you know, we should we should mix the smoking and vaping and go more to an edible world. And why not? And you know, some people say, Well, I hate edibles because of XYZ. Well, let's do a little bit more research and see if we can make the edibles a little bit more bioavailable so that there's not, you know, this lag time between ingestion and the time that you actually feel the response. I worked on a project you know, or a product uh, when I had my own product in the marketplace where I was using certain terpenes and I'm not going to give away my secret sauce, but some secret okay. sauce that seemed to help speed up the bioavailability of the cannabis that we were, I was, we were consuming. I think that there's still opportunity in that right now. And unless the patient or the consumer is aware of that, there's no way for us to give them an idea that they need to even go ask. Right. Yeah. Another frustrating thing is that if you were to type in that question into Google, you would not get reliable results. It's just a testament to the, the fractured nature of, of education in, in our country and, and the world. But, you know, folks in Ohio uh, have a very different understanding from can of cannabis than folks in Florida or California. Um, that's that's one of the challenges that we faced is is the vernacular varies people's baseline understanding varies um but you can go up online and google and figure out how to make a pipe bomb even though if you type a pipe bomb it won't show you a pipe bomb but it'll give you you can figure out how to navigate through the process to figure out what size pipe what size metal what kind of gauge what kind of explosive do you need to be able to work you know that it, it to me seems ridiculous that we can provide that kind of information or we can even allow, you know, some terrorist groups to be able to recruit through Google. Yeah. We can't allow you to get information that should be your first and other right to be able to read information. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll say that it's out there. Uh, it's just not, uh, not going to be your top hits often. And, you know, if, if you want to get the real, uh, the real good stuff, you're going to be looking at like primary source material that is, is no fun to read. Um, I mean, most people aren't going to be uh, drilling into, um, you know, 40 page medical documents um, for their answers. So, you know, it's, it's translating that into something that is, that is like, um, yeah, digestible and, and um, has those walk away bullet points that people are looking for. Talk a little bit about your involvement with MPP. I was very much involved with MPP. For people out there who don't understand MPP, as we know, a lot of policy projects been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, it was yep. founded um, uh, Peter Lewis and group back almost 25, 30 years ago. I don't even know, probably 26, 27 years ago that they were founded and did a lot of work early on, which a lot of people don't give MPP credit for, but back in you know, 2000, 2001, 2, 3, and 4, and they were really responsible for going around the country and beating on the doors of legislators and getting some of the original marijuana, I mean, some of the original medical marijuana policies actually put in place in multiple states. And they're continuing to work today. Right, right. right. I, that's why I loved it. Um, 
Ohio was on their their docket. You know, they were gonna we we're gonna be the first Midwest um, state to have uh, legalization, um, and uh, the MPP kind of picked Ohio to uh, to lead the charge. And their thinking was that if where Ohio goes, so will you know um, Indiana and Kentucky and and all of these other um, Midwestern states. Uh, and it, it probably was true, but uh, what became of that? was um, a very interesting like uh, legal um, sidestep in our state. Um, like you said, MPP had a pretty killer batting average as far as their uh, success rate. And that scared a lot of people, a lot of conservatives in our state. And so when they saw um, the MPP starting to get a foothold, starting to work on this ballot initiative, um, Ohio did something that no state has done before and still nobody, still no other state has. We, uh, the, surprisingly, the conservatives in power passed their own um, uh, laws legalizing um, medical. And their idea was that if they did that, it would cause the MPP to leave the state and give up. And, it, and that's exactly what happened. Um, Marijuana Policy Project figured like, well, we're, we're trying to pass, you know, legalization and, you know, through our presence, um, basically a, a, a state run um, bill came to be. So, you know, they kind of achieved sort of their goal. Uh, the downside was that this was kind of a political maneuver and a lot of the folks in power didn't really want uh, cannabis legalization even for medical. And that's why we have this silly rule still that, yeah, uh, medical cannabis is legal, but you cannot smoke it. Um, and, uh, but you, you know, you can vape it. It's something that is impossible to, uh, to police, you know? So why be building those types of rules into your, uh, into your policy when, you know, it's, it's just kind of impossible to enforce? Um, you know, again, like th this process, uh, this was about 2015 when MPP left and we started down this road of creating our own legalization without a ballot initiative. So, um, you know, there was a lot of, what's that? The constitutional initiative? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the legislators passed it, um, kind of on their own. So, so no voters had a say in it, um, and you know, ideally, that's what you want your govern your governor and your um, your your elected officials to do. You wanted them to pass laws that are things that you want, and they kind of did that. So, um, in, in the end, like I'm not I'm not knocking them for doing that. Um, I, I you know, me and everybody else in the state just wishes that it would have rolled out a little bit better. It kind of set up not a controlled monopoly, but not that far off from it. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do to kind of clean that up and, and uh, improve it to where it is helpful to everybody. Um, because of the limited um, permitting that they did for uh, grow sites, I'm worried that they're not going to be able, they're not incentivized to grow unique cultivars that have, you know, different cannabinoid and terpene levels that are good for different um, ailments, because it's not a one size fits all. And so they're in, instead incentivized by um, quantity and, and weight instead of, um, you know, these niche, yeah, these, these boutique products that are like, maybe this one is perfect for, um, you know, uh, muscular problems, whereas this one is maybe better for PTSD or something like that. Um, 
there's no incentive for growers to do that. In fact, there's almost an incentive for them not to do that uh, because if they don't hit their quota, they can risk losing their permit and losing their millions of dollars in escrow as, as kind of uh, their, their permit fees. So, um, you know, it's, it's not the greatest uh, rollout, um, but hey, you know, we, we technically did it without a ballot initiative, so now we can just improve upon it, uh, at least that's the goal. Um, but yeah, that, that was, um, you had asked me about the MPP. Um, I was, uh, I, I worked with them to kind of help um, uh, with that 2015 initiative before it got kind of stomped out. Um, and that was kind of when I started uh, working on the idea of gold leaf and um, talking to, to medical professionals and, and vetting some of my original um, like journal designs with um, with folks in the uh, in the medical space. Well, now you know, I guess you and like I and like everybody who's trying to get information in this, this this space try your best to do, and that is to keep up with the most recent scientific data. Now we know again, here we are in moratorium land. You know, when it comes to pandemic. I'm not sure how much research is being done in this space, but we were getting some significant breakthroughs. And we, we talked about a little bit different cultivars, different cannabinoids that we now understand have different municipal and functional capabilities. And we know that CBG has now been identified. Something I've been talking about for almost 13 years, or no, really for about the last five years, I'm talking CBG. But you know, CBN. Or I'm sorry, CBD. I've been talking about CBD for 16 years, and now we're finally starting to recognize that CBD has a value. But then, what happened is I think we shut down the pipeline of information, so now everybody is just stuck on CBD. What do you right. think? Is, you know, or or, or, or uh, what do you think is going to happen over the next year, year and a half, or two years? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, my answer probably would have been different if we weren't in uh, coronavirus land right now. Um, cause you're right. That has the, the sweeping changes that that is going to make on, on new research and, um, educational establishments. We still don't even know, but, um, yeah, CBD has been like the buzzword uh, of the past couple years. Um, there's over 120 known cannabinoids, way more than that, but at least 120 that have been clearly identified and are being studied that's a lot. I mean, even with CBD, there's uh, lots of different types of CBD. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they each could potentially have very, very important therapeutic values if isolated. Um, so I, I think like, yeah, the, the next, uh, the next steps with, uh, with kind of research would be, um, like you mentioned, probably in the realm of delivery methods, um, solving that that conundrum of how do you get it into your body quickly without jeopardizing an organ like your lungs or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, uh, like this sublingual or other, I mean, you know, other, uh, mucosal, um, applications. Um, those, those have, uh, seemed to be the frontier for a lot of, uh, very specific ailments. Um, and you know, I, I'm very curious to to learn um, more about um, you know, as far as research about the uh, kind of the origins of these different cultivars, like the the land race strains. Those are like the original ones, um, and 
you know, they, they show very different terpene uh, concentrations and cannabinoid concentrations. And so I, I think like the genetic side is very interesting. And, and furthermore, work like uh, Confident Cannabis does, where they're trying to map um, the, the, me the, the chemical makeups of all of these different uh, plants. Um, and that will help us better understand like how to grow a, a plant that is perfect for um, say muscle spasms where you know you're not having to uh, rely on a lot of um, like extra processing to get the results you want. Uh, you're able to basically just pick and choose a cultivar that is you know suited through its um, parentage to address your ailment because it you, you know it has that uh, chemical cocktail that's that's maybe perfect for uh, what you're trying to treat. Well, now, you know, but now we, we also have this extra, I've got a little bit more time, but we've got this extra monkey wrench that we've grown into this grow, and that is the hemp world. Now, you know, because we can't say CBD, most people are saying broad spectrum hemp and yeah. or a hemp product. Well, now the hemp products, which have been around since you know, <laughs> 40, 50 years, you've been able to get hemp seed protein for 30 years in this country legally without any, any question or any, any hesitation. So I've had most of the hemp that we were getting pre the hemp bill literally was imported from overseas that we allowed the importation of and 99.9% of it came from overseas. I was eating hemp seed protein back in 2000, back in the, in the 90s. And um, now that there are products on shelves that are calling themselves hemp, broad-based hemp, we have no idea what's in those products. What do you think? Are you doing an education on that right now? Is yeah. that part of your, your job? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're starting on a series about uh, kind of the, the differences between hemp and I guess what people call marijuana or, or cannabis. Um, and we're definitely touching upon that because we, like I said, we, we work with a lot of businesses and we do get approached by businesses who want us to kind of fudge the numbers for them. Um, you know, so like a THC free product, that's a, you know, common buzzword now with hemp, hemp um, uh, products like, hey, this is our THC free um, oil, oil or so THC free, it's THC below 0 0.03% or 3 or 1%, right? Right. right. Uh, so that, that's kind of the murkiness. Um, they want to they maybe utilize some of the talking points of cannabis, but say it's only for their THC-free product. Um, and it, it's just further confusing people. Um, we, we don't really accept those types of, of jobs um, if, if we're not able to present like true factual info. And, um, but yeah, I, I think that the hemp market is, is really exciting, um, especially where I'm at. Like we're a stone's throw uh, from, from Kentucky, which has had hemp pilot programs um, for a very long time, like 15 years or so. Um, they, haven't, they haven't done much with it yet, but they're starting to now. They're converting a lot of their tobacco farms to hemp. So there, there's a lot of potential um, with, with these like uh, agrarian jobs in um, Ohio and Kentucky and Indiana, and it's cool. Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested to, to see what, what kind of comes of that with the different hemp products, um, where they kind of find their niche, wh what's most helpful. Um, is it as a, um, you know, 
something to address sleep or anxiety. Um, because yeah, hemp is different than cannabis, aka something with higher um, higher THC levels. Um, but the broad spectrum, that kind of stuff, THC free, those are unregulated words, like you said, and it's just kind of uh, dangerous uh, or potentially dangerous and misleading if if we don't kind of establish, a, a, I guess, like a um, a way to define what that means, um, and so that those terms are not misused. Because you know the marketing that I've seen is it's very wishy-washy right now. I, I think a lot of times it comes from a very good place, but you know this is like a kind of a gold rush, and there are a lot of um, people who maybe do not have folks' interest in mind. They're just after like a good business to make money or something, and. Um, that that's that's kind of the scary point. Um, we try to address that in a few ways. One with who we work with, um, we want to align on our our ethics, um, and then you know the other is presenting info on questions people are asking. What's the difference? Hemp, cannabis, that kind of thing. Do you get the same pushback on the social media outlets from when you talk in terms of hemp versus talk in terms of cannabis? Um. Good question. I don't know. Um, we we have uh, been hit with the iron fist um, before, uh, so I'm kind of hesitant to test the waters. Um, you know, then again, like we don't really ever show people people smoking or people using. Most of our stuff is very, um, uh, I guess, straightforward, uh, graphical, educational. So we, we haven't really seen uh, any red tape in the past couple years, um, but that's because our presentation on social is pretty, pretty buttoned up. Um, so I, I guess I don't have a good answer for that, uh, except that we haven't really tested the waters as far as if, if we are uh, still limited, if, if we use the word hemp. Um, I have started to see hemp companies successfully advertise on Instagram uh, and Facebook, which was not the case you know, three months ago. Um, so that that's progress, and I think I think it is because they use the word hemp. They never use the word cannabis, but I mean, what is what a silly uh, what a silly difference, I guess, because it's kind of the same thing, especially how how they're kind of using it. Absolutely. So, if you, if you had a crystal ball, what does it look like over the next two years? Yeah, I two years. Okay, so assuming we have a great election in November. Um, okay. Well, I, I said two years because I think it's going to take us probably a year to get out of this pandemic <laughs> and then start moving forward a year after that. I'd really like to see um, more. Um, well, I'd, I'd really like to see uh, descheduling uh, cannabis on a federal level. I mean, I think that's a very realistic hope. Um, I don't, whoever's in power, um, may not want to bite that off right away. I wish they would, but they might not. If they just deschedule it, that would open the floodgates with banking, with insurers, with you know all this digital stuff we've been talking about. Um, that's the reason, it's because it's a schedule one. If it weren't a schedule one, that would really be a huge difference. I think that would open up um, the markets. We would be able to possibly uh, have interstate commerce with it. And I mean, that is when it, it you know, quadruples in size, the, the industry as a whole. Um, and, and I hope we get there. And it, it do, it's not even going to take a lot. It's just re, reframing the, uh, the scheduling of cannabis. 
um, decriminalizing it. I, I, I hope that I, you know, I also hope that that kind of leads to, um, uh, you know, clemency for, for some of these folks who are in prison for nonviolent offenses. Um, I mean, it hasn't worked out that way yet, uh, necessarily, but, um, you know, that, that's kind of a totally different subject, but, um, I, I do hope that that will also alleviate some of the, the strain that's on our um, our incarcerated uh, neighbors um, for cannabis. Uh, so anyway, that that's kind of my hope for uh, the short term, the the two three year plan. Uh, let's decriminalize and and deschedule it, um, and and kind of go from there. Well, look, Charles, I can't thank you enough for being here and being a part of today's podcast. I'm sure that people are going to find everything that we talk about interesting, and I have found it very interesting. I really appreciate you being here. I want to have you back. Any new breakthroughs, anything happen, then give us a call. We'll have you on the show at another point in time. People, if they want to get a hold of you or get a hold of your organization, where do they go? Yeah, um, our website, uh, shopgoldleaf.com or goldleaf.org. Um, and we're also on, uh, we love the visual uh, social networks like uh, Instagram and Pinterest. Um, Instagram, uh, Goldleaf without the O, G-L-D-L-E-A-F. Uh, you can find us there, see some of the designs we do. Um, yeah. Absolutely, sir. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. You've been listening to another podcast of Let's Be Blunt, and we try our best to give you as much information as we can to help you navigate this space when you're concerned for you and your family. We're giving you information every single day if we can. So thanks a lot for being here. Join us on the next Let's Be Blunt with Montana. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.